Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. This is Tim Staples of Catholic Answers. I'm excited to let you know that I also teach high school apologetics for homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. There are also recorded independent learning courses at homeschoolconnections.com. Whether you take apologetics with me, literature with Joseph Pierce, or philosophy with Bill Donahue, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, it's a great way to get Catholic learning for your family. Hello and welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Lou Nemechek and we are going to um, take a look at a beautiful psalm, a psalm. It's the second psalm, Psalm 2. It's a bit cryptic if you're out there and you're approaching it cold because you don't really understand what it's about. But we're hoping in this show to kind of unpack a little bit about how Psalm 2 really applies to today the life that we're living today in our world and how it it applied when it was first written and how it will apply going forward as long as there are human beings on the earth because there's always going to be somebody who's going to set himself over and against God. You know, come, somebody's going to come in and say, hey, we're a better solution than God. Don't trust them. Trust us. And I think we see, we've seen that today with various political philosophies, etc. But I thought we would just read the psalm. Um, and kind of unpack it a little bit. It's a, it's one of the royal messianic psalms. So it's considered of the family, referring to people of the family of David, so royal. And messianic means anointed. So the king uh, was the anointed one. So basically every anointed Davidic king, after, including David, was a, a, quote, Messiah, unquote, which is basically the Hebrew word for anointed. So um, that's where the reference to the Lord's anointed comes in here. Um, I'm going to read the, um, I'm going to read the first, Mary Lou, I'm going to read verses one through three in the Revised Standard Version. And then what do you have? What version do you have? I have to look at my Bible. Hold on. You have the Great Great Adventure Timeline. I think I that's, do. that's an I RSV. Yeah, that's an RSV. So why don't I read the ESV and then you read the RSV? So just read the first three <laughs> verses. Why don't you start read the first three verses and then I'll read the first three verses in this other translation. Okay. the The title of 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 it is God's promise to His anointed. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. All right. Here's the uh, English Standard Version, which is from the Augustine Institute. So it's a recent translation. 
Verse one, why do the nations rage? There's actually um, a note there that says it can also be translated as why do the nations noisily assemble? Noisily assemble. Think of any United Nations assembly (laughs) when you think about that. (laughs) Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And so, you know, you read the Psalm, let's say you're like, you I don't know, you're praying or you're reading the Psalms and you're kind of skimming along and you get to the Psalm and you're like, what on earth are they talking about? Right. This is one of those Psalms, which it doesn't immediately kind of come in to comfort and console us like perhaps other Psalms, like the Lord is my shepherd, for instance, Psalm 23, right? Or right. Psalm 8, how, oh Lord, how great thou art, you know, that kind of thing. It's more of a Psalm that makes you work on achieving um, exactly what the psalm wants you to do. Now, remember that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are, in a certain way, the the introduction to the whole Psalter, to the whole group of psalms, to the whole book of psalms. And as such, they're meant to be read together. But today we're going to do Psalm 2 because I think of the application I think we have in our world today. Let me see. I have another original translation. Oh, no, I don't have it with me from the Hebrew. There's this other... Yeah, translation straight from the Hebrew, which is usually always very good, very, very, very literal. But we'll do that next time. You know, well, Lavinia, when you're when you're talking about the Psalms, you're talking about a collection, and there's we're talking about two, number two, but there's 150 of them in total. And and weren't they recited in the Jewish temple? Isn't that? Yep, they were prayed and sung. Like, Mostly they were chanted and they were sung uh, antiphonally, which means. Uh, if you've ever been to Mass and you've ever prayed a responsorial psalm, that's an antiphon where you have the leader praying the refrain or singing the refrain and you have the congregation uh, chanting the verses or vice versa. That we get it from the Jews. We get that antiphonal chant from the Jews chanting the psalms and other great canticles in the temple. So that's, you know, we stand, of course, as heirs of the great uh, Jewish tradition. Of, of chanting and praying and singing to the Lord. And i tell you one thing that worship was not uh, during the time of David, and it was not silent. It was not silent. It was not one of those, oh, I'm just going to be over here and pray just me and God. No, it was always, always corporate, always together, always joyful. Or even when it wasn't joyful, let's see, when there was mourning, there was still some form of a musical expression. Um, it was just out there, you know, it was, it was the people living their lives in front of God. You know, some of the songs are a little alarming. Some of the songs, you know, don't are not don't sound Christian because they want revenge. You know, they want God to annihilate their neighbors and their children, you know, that kind of thing. The people that oppress them. And yet the good thing about uh, expressing all feelings before God is that that is an example for all of us. We can let it all hang out in prayer. With the Lord, we don't have to edit ourselves or censor ourselves or, you know, uh, sound good to the Lord when we're praying. And and so, this psalm is put, of course, in the in the mouth of David, and its archaic language points really to a 10th century composition, which would match up with the actual life of King David. Uh, some other psalms are a little bit more recent, and so the, although they're put in David's mouth. 
uh, they're actually construed as to being recited by the Davidic heir or somebody like David, etc. But in this case, we have um, a true messianic royal psalm uh, prayed by David. Now, David is the example of the wise man, right? And it says, why? There's a question there. You know, it, it, it starts with a with a with a with an interrogatory. Why do the people's rage or plot or um, conspire? I mean, you have all those words that have kind of nefarious terms, right? Conspiring and plotting and raging. And the nations, the word nations is actually the Hebrew goyim, which means the heathen, the Gentiles. Why do that? So that's in and against, of course, the Jews, right? It's against the, the Hebrews, the Jews, the Israelites. So why do the Gentiles rage and why do their people, why do the Gentile peoples plot, but they plot in vain? You know, sure, I'm sure they don't think they're plotting in vain, but in fact, they do. So take a step back from all this. What exactly does that mean? Who is plotting against? Who is being plotted against? And then the next verse, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against Adonai. Who's Adonai? The Lord. That is the Hebrew word for for the Lord. So as not to pronounce the sacred name of God. And I thought this was so, Mary Lou, it's just so appropriate because we live in a time in which the nations are conspiring against the Lord, and they are conspiring against his anointed. And by nations, we should we should interpret maybe even nation states like China and certain parts of Russia and uh, the communist countries, the socialist countries, which uh, kind of put themselves up as the solution, you know, like you don't need religion, you just need the government, you know, you just need the government to take care of you from cradle to grave. You know, that's a certain way in which the nations set themselves up against God, right? Because the idea is that somehow the the nation, the government, you know, the power, the worldly power can actually be everything that you need. And that's that's exactly right when you say the worldly power. It's excluding the heavenly powers. It's excluding God out of out of everything. Do you remember when you and I did that series of shows? Again, and it was on the um, secu- the Secularist Manifesto. Remember what? what yes, was it? yes. It, it was the um, I think it was the Sec- Secular Humanist Manifesto. Yes, there were like fourteen points to it, or something. Well, and there have been three different iterations, you know, one in the 1920s and 30s, one in the 1950s, and then one again in the 1980s, and it kept getting revised, right? Right. Mm -hmm. The main idea was, I think right up front, they state man does not need God. And God is kind of construed as, quote, a fairy tale or, or a crutch or something for weak people, you know, like just even the idea of an all powerful divinity somehow is makes you less of an adult. And that's kind of the, that's the understanding, right? I think it's foolish. The secularist manifesto. Yeah. We should get that out again and resurrect that. That was anyway. And that's what I was thinking when I was looking at this Psalm, you know, this is a classic example of nations and people's, um, conspiring against the Lord, meaning what? By conspiring, what what is meant is that there's always going to be somebody who's going to assert that they're going to take the place of God. 
You know, that they, and if you believed that God was all powerful and all knowing, you would never want to take his place. So this is basically actions by people who do not believe, obviously, right? I mean, I think one thing presupposes the other. Because if you know that there's an all-powerful and omniscient being and you want to you want to replace him with your own finite self, that's uh, folly, right? I mean, it's folly anyway. But I mean, you kind of, I always want to figure out what makes people say or think or try to propose certain ideas. What, what does make the nation's rage. They set themselves up against the Lord and against his anointed. Originally, when this psalm was composed, it was a psalm against David, the anointed. He was considered the the king was the anointed of the Lord, right? right? But ultimately, who is the ultimate son of David? An anointed one. That's Jesus, right? Jesus is of the royal house of David. That's why the... <clears throat> Gospels make such a big deal about his whole, you know, genealogy, right? Because, right. you know, they go to such lengths to show you his descent from David, because it should be clear to everyone who has ears to hear that here is the promised Davidic messianic king who has come. And so this psalm should be read really ultimately in key of Jesus. So what are the nations doing? They're conspiring and they're plotting to put themselves against the Lord, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And it's pretty much translated the same way in most. Yeah, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. So what does that mean? Burst their bonds basically is they don't want to be submitted to God. And so they interpret God's uh, rules and God's laws, which are meant for our good, of course, as bonds, right? They're meant as, as fetters, right? You know, I'm, I'm remembering Benedict the 16th, who said that people construe God as an obstacle to freedom, and they just they push him to the margins, right? And the more they see him as an obstacle to freedom, the more they're going to want to push against the bonds, right? Push against the goats. But are they bonds? Are they cords? No. You know, it's like the, the two-year-old will turn to the mother and shake her little fist and say, I hate that baby gate. It's a, it's a bond. It's a cord. I'm going to burst asunder these cords. I'm going to crash through the baby gate so that I can go play in traffic. I mean, it's that kind of thing that we see when humanity tries to rebel against God and his and his laws, because the laws are meant to be baby gates. They're meant to be safety rules, safety walls. You know, uh, they're meant to protect us. They're meant to bring us to prosperity and to full flourishing. But it is a it is it is a characteristic of the modern age that we interpret divine law as a restriction, as a bond as cords, like we're tied up. And if we acknowledge that God exists, and if we acknowledge that there is a Savior, and we acknowledge that there is an all-powerful, all-wise God, then somehow that diminishes us, and it diminishes our freedom, and it diminishes our choices. When it's the actual opposite. Opposite. Right. Right? Right. That's kind of, as far as I can tell, that is a a law. I mean, it's a, it's a lie from... The straight pit of hell. You know, there's another, um, let's see, there is another, yeah, there's another in verse two. 
Yeah, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, saying, but one of the translations is, they murmur against the Lord's anointed. Another way to translate this word murmur or complain or plot or whatever is count. So what would they be counting? They're counting their armies to revolt. Oh, interesting. They, they gather, they foregather, or they are aroused against the anointing. And I guess I think we can probably see examples of that in everyday news, right? Right. Verse three, they seek to snap their bonds. Now, if you look at this psalm in the in the time that it was composed, David was the overlord or the high king over other nations and other kings, right? But the other kings under suzerainty law, so the under, you know, they under the high king laws, were bought were bound by certain things. Look at the feudal system. You know, the 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 counts and the barons and the dukes were bound by their loyalty to their overlord, the king. And you had kind of had an a, a, a similar idea that their obligations to the ruler under traditional pacts are being snapped. Even though they're vassals of God and his anointed king, they want to throw off the rule. Right? So that's a pretty alarming situation, isn't it? Well, it, revolting against God is nothing new then. Right? I mean, that's the tactic that they're taking. I know. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's pretty... Um, it's pretty um it's pretty alarming i think that we have seen a lot of uh, plausible liars go forth into the world today not only from a governmental point of view uh, but distressingly also from various religious uh, communities that propose a gospel of many paths to heaven and they propose many names by which we can be saved and they propose that the path to heaven is broad and pleasant. It's, that's the reverse, obviously, of Matthew 7, 15, instead of the path to destruction, right? Which is like there's hardly anybody on the path to destruction because in the end, God's going to be in good sport. What's that? Universalism, right? Right. Which they is penetrating everywhere. And they contradict the word of God, right? I mean, would we say that's true? Right. Right. And what, but what they're doing, they're pandering to a distorted worldview that allows people to do whatever they want and still get to heaven. And so what are they doing? They're creating gods in their own image. Right? And that is another they're way they can just, God. What? They're making themselves God. It's like the Tower of Babel. I will build it high enough to be equal with God. Right. And so uh and I think that's what we're seeing. I mean, you know, you see there's um in Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the irreligious and perverse spirit of men who in this perversity of theirs hinder the truth. Therefore, these men are without excuse. They claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's an excerpt from Romans 1. So we've set the stage, I think, uh, so that we can maybe have another show in which we can unpack the remainder of the psalm. But we wanted to kind of establish how foolish and how and what utter folly it is for uh, the nations, quote unquote, whoever those might be. And today we know who the nations are because everybody's a Gentile, except for the state of Israel. Everybody's a Gentile. So it's all the nations that claim to know what it is that makes for life. And in fact, you know, in the end, the Lord sets before us life and death, a blessing and a curse. And that is a theme that's repeated in the Gospels. It's repeated all throughout the scriptures. When you hear stuff like we need to be able to 
you know, uh, change the church so that she might adapt to the age, you know, right. Get with the times, all that stuff. It's really, um, it's people claiming to be wise, but they're fools instead. Right. Right. The church is beside the times. We are besides the times. We are beyond the times. We must test every spirit and live in faith and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us all truth. So against as sort of a vaccination, um, a spiritual scriptural vaccination against the first part of Psalm 2, we can pray this with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's John 14, 6. So, you know, that's that's the bottom line. That's Those are the first three verses of Psalm 2, and we will reprise next time. Thank you.